Delivering great-tasting product to your customers is important. Saving energy, space, and improving operational efficiencies is good for your bottom line. A perfect choice for convenience retailers, Adande Refrigeration's patented modular units deliver so many efficiencies, it's no wonder brands such as Sheets and Get-Go are installing these temperature-stable, hold-the-cold fridges across their U.S. food courts. When it comes to refrigeration, convenience is at the very heart of Adande Refrigeration. Learn how you can excel in food service, save time, space, and energy with Adande Refrigeration at adande.co.uk or adande.com. Professionals in the know, choose Adande. You're listening to Shop Talk Live, the podcast, brought to you by Global Convenience Store Focus. Shop Talk Live is a unique video and podcast series featuring senior retail executives in the global convenience, fuels, and mobility retail industry, hosted by Dan Munford and Carolyn Schneer. Welcome to Shop Talk Live, the podcast. To kick off season two, we talk with two exciting U.S. retailers, Foxtrot and Sheets. I'm joined by my co-host, Roy Strasberger, industry veteran and founder of The Vision Group. The Vision Group brings together retailers from around the U.S. and discusses important industry topics. In this episode, we discuss how Sheets and Foxtrot are tackling labor, scheduling, and employee retention. I hope you enjoy this episode and certainly go to our website at globalconvenienstorefocus.co.uk to see this video in its entirety on episode number 51. Welcome to Shop Talk Live. I'm Carolyn Schneer from Washington, D.C. I am very happy to have with me my guest host today and my friend of many, many years, Roy Strasberger, the CEO of Strauss Global. And you're joining me from Austin, Texas. Welcome, Roy. I am. Hi, Carolyn. It's great to be here and be working with you again. Uh, as you said, we've gone back a long way and it's always been fun. So I'm looking forward to this today. We are going to talk with Liz Williams, who is the president of Chicago-based Foxtrot, relative newcomer to the convenience industry, uh, but been making waves, shaking up the industry since 2014. And they're going to tell us a little bit more about that, as well as Joe Sheets, who is the executive vice chairman of 70-plus-year-old Sheets, so been around a little longer, uh, based in Pennsylvania and still growing all over the eastern and middle United States. Hi, Liz. Hi, Joe. Hello. Hi, Carolyn. Thanks for coming on. We really appreciate it. Um, as I mentioned, we want to hear a lot about you guys. Um, our audience uh, is both from the United States as well as global. And some may go back years with you. Some may are just learning about you and, and introducing themselves to you for the first time. So if you wouldn't mind, Liz, I'm going to go ahead and start with you. If you wouldn't mind telling us about Foxtrot and how you got started and where you're, you are and where you're going today. Great. Well, thank you for having us today, Carolyn. And Roy, always good to see you and just uh, really thrilled and honored to be alongside Joe um, on this conversation. So Foxtrot, uh, relatively, like you said, a newcomer to the industry, especially compared to an established brand like Sheets. Uh, we've been around just under 10 years, uh, started in Chicago, and we really uh, would would characterize our, our beautiful stores as a modern convenience store. So it's an experience that is on a mission to redefine the category. So we're doing this by developing just beautiful spaces and neighborhoods that we love and are passionate about. And then we combine these beautiful spaces with online e-commerce, omnichannel business that delivers rapid delivery in under 60 minutes. 
we're doing this where we build a community that celebrates and really experiences delicious foods and trying new products. We partner with a lot of great brands that are up and coming brands, but also many of the brands that we all know and love that um, have been around for, for many, many years. So, you know, you can get your pint of Jenny's ice cream right alongside your Diet Coke. And, you know, you can mix in um, the familiar chip with a, a newer chip on the market. And we do all of this, um, you know, together with our marketplace and the convenience play, but also we have a great variety of prepared foods. So everything from salads and soups or breakfast tacos. Um, you can also pick up dinner, a chicken piccata on your way home for dinner. And then finally, we have our coffee. So um, we're really proud of our, our coffee um, that drives a lot of customers in in the morning. And then in the evening, you can um, either sit down and have a glass of wine with us, or you can take a bottle of wine to go. So a lot going on, but um, really excited about our, our growth ahead. That's amazing. I, I've had the pleasure of being in one of your stores um, in Alexandria, Virginia, and it was really, really nice. And it was, um, it's, it's a smaller, well, at least that one, um, a smaller format, but just super impressive and, and well-kept. The people were just super fantastic. Because I, I, we're really excited that uh, we've got some coming to Austin, and uh, which is where I'm based. And so we're, I've had the chance to visit uh, some of your stores in the Washington area and in Chicago. And it's really impressive format that you put together. Yeah, we're excited to open in Austin. So today we're in Chicago. We're in the D.C., uh, Maryland, and Virginia area. We're in Dallas and about to open in Austin. Very cool. Well, um, none yet in uh, Pennsylvania, it sounds like. So with that, I'm going to turn it over to Joe to talk a little bit about Sheets. Um, we all know, probably all know a lot about Sheets. You guys have been around just a, a couple years longer than Foxtrot. Um, but Joe, why don't you go ahead and, uh, and and tell us where you are, what you're doing, where you're going, all the fun stuff. Sure. Um, well, one of the things that not everybody knows about Sheets is uh, our original business was actually a dairy. Uh, started by my great-grandfather in 1907. Um, so the sheets you know today, uh, the stores, really started as um, in 1952 uh, as a dairy store that was purchased from my grandfather uh, by my uncle. So my uncle Bob decided that uh, the store should be a separate business, not just uh, an outlet to sell uh, dairy products uh, or whatever was left over on the uh, delivery trucks every morning. Um, so 1952, my uncle Bob started with one store, uh, in Altoona. Um, we now have, uh, 675, I believe as of yesterday stores, uh, in Pennsylvania, Maryland, Virginia, West Virginia, North Carolina, and Ohio. Uh, we will soon be entering Michigan. Uh, we announced that a few weeks ago. Um, we have around 24,000 employees. Um, we are probably most known for our proprietary food service. Um, we're also known for, uh, being for the seven of the last eight years, uh, being on the top 100 places to work in the United States list, uh, with a, a very big focus, uh, on employees, uh, and on culture. Uh, we remain family owned, uh, although we do have an ESOP in our employees own, um, a little less than 10% of the company. Uh, and our intent is to stay that way. 
the other thing we do is quite a bit of vertical integration. Uh, so we own and operate uh, distribution centers, bakeries, and commissaries uh, where we make deliveries to all of our stores. Uh, we also deliver all of our own fuel uh, through our fuel trucking company uh, and perform most of our own uh, maintenance uh, and other tasks um, through people that are you know, living and distributed throughout our footprint. Wow. That is cool. And I, I think um, I, I've been to hundreds of, uh, of times to sheets. <laughs> I just want them to be closer to me here in, in Fairfax, Virginia. So <laughs> next time you come this way, build one right near me, <laughs> if you would. <laughs> one of the things that the sheets is, has really done is Joe uh, related, but you re they've really evolved over time from, from the dairy business into what they are today in both uh, sheets and um Foxtrot lean very heavily into the food service business now. I mean, that is really where a lot of their emphasis is. And I think that kind of plays into a little bit about what we're going to talk about today, but it's uh, positioning themselves for where they want to be, not just for this year, next year, but for the next decade or so uh, of where they want to go. And very customer centric. I, I bo both of you, the customer is at the center and then as well as the employees, which is what we're going to talk about a little bit today. Roy, you met Liz and Joe and several of their uh, colleagues and peers about um, talking about all things uh, interesting in the industry, many, many topics. But one of the ones that um, basically I think came up, but you told me often throughout, even if you were talking about fuels was uh, workforce. Now, I know this is an important issue. Finding the best talent, keeping the best talent um, is a huge issue, not only here in the United States, but everywhere around the world. Um, um, people are pulled in different directions. The pandemic has just blown everything up in many, many ways. Um, Roy, do you want to tell us a little bit about that discussion? Oh, absolutely. I mean, we had our first meeting on the, the 1st of November. And um, one of the topics and one of the hot topics that came up was about staffing and uh, help working with our employees and keeping our stores operating. And, and Joe and Liz, I'm going to kind of kick this over to you in just a moment, but we've all heard, heard about things like the great resignation or quiet quitting, and those things have really affected the hospitality, the service, and the retail sectors the most as far as finding folks who are willing to work and willing to work on site. They can't do remote working from a convenience store. So... The question is, was that we were talking about was how do you attract the right people and how do you keep the right people? Uh, in our meeting, one of our members said that we don't necessarily have a hiring problem. We have a retention problem of trying to make sure we keep fit folks over time. And that ref reflects on how we handle and, and, and work with our employees. And one of the great things about um, the convenience industry is that we have an opportunity to work with a lot of people in, in a lot of different ways. So let's to talk a little bit about uh, recruiting and staffing and, and getting people. Joe, what's been your experience in uh, or Sheets's experience in regards to hiring and trying to find the right folks over the last couple of years? Wow, that's a loaded question, Roy. Um, you know, you, you had the, uh, the COVID years in there uh, and not every COVID year was even the same, right? So I think there's been a lot of ebbs and flows um, throughout, the, uh, throughout the last few years. Um, I agree with you. I think our, our biggest issue um, has been retention, uh, more so than, um, than hiring. 
Um, you know, there's been a lot more, um, I would call it quick turnover, um, you know, where people are thinking they want to come work and they don't last as long. So most of the turnover has been on the newer end of the workforce, uh, you know, within the first 60 or 90 days. Um, and I think a lot of that is just, you know, people maybe being attracted to uh, the wages, uh, which our industry and, and we're no exception has um, significantly upgraded. Um, uh, the available hours, uh, because let's face it, we're open 24 hours a day. And, and a lot of people we compete with for employees um, aren't open 24 hours anymore. And they're, op they're offering more limited schedules, uh, maybe 20 hours a week, 30 hours a week. And we're certainly willing to, to give you 40 hours a week or even more if that's what you want. Um, so some of those things seem very attractive. Uh, but then they get in and realize, wow, I'm working pretty hard and I'm dealing with the public every day. Uh, and maybe I'll, uh, I'll do something uh, a little less stressful and, and a little uh, um, making similar amounts of money. So I think we've had a lot more issues on the on the front end, which has pushed us to making sure that we, for lack of a better way to put it, have a, a realistic job preview for people before they start. Uh, making sure they understand uh, what the job is, uh, what's expected of them. Uh, we're in the food service business, as you mentioned, um, but, you know, we're also open 24 hours a day. So a lot of our people are expected to be able to work in, in more than one section of the store. Um, you know, you may have a handful who just work lunch times during the week and they're basically in the kitchen. Um, but if you're working second and particularly third shift, uh, you need to understand what's going on in the kitchen. You need to be able to ring the cash register. You need to be able to do most of the basic tasks throughout the entire store. Um, and that kind of uh, uh, utility player role uh, is not for everybody. So, all right. Well, Liz, what about what's your been experience? What's been your experience at Foxtrot? Yeah, I would just say building on what Joe said, I, I think he has a really good point in terms of, you know, roles are complicated. And it seems like um, in this industry, there are so many things that we're asking our team members to do. So um, and great example of you've got to be able to pivot over to the kitchen, yet ring the register. So one of the things that, you know, we've been doing as we're recruiting and, and trying to drive further retention is how do we simplify? So how do we use our corporate center to roll out uh, different programs that are really well thought through and just easier for the team member to execute. Because I, I com agree completely with, with Joe that that retention is one of the biggest challenges that we have. Um, there certainly has been a lot of job hopping over the last uh, couple months and years, um, wages being a, a large piece of it. We also firmly believe that wages are just one piece you know, that obviously bring people in, but the culture is, is the reason that people will stay. And we place a big emphasis on the culture that uh, we're creating from the corporate center, but also the culture that the store manager is creating. So really uh, investing in our store managers, knowing that they're the ones that are gonna retain the team members as well um, is a big piece of it. Um, the other piece, which Joe mentioned is, you know, the scheduling piece of it, um, making sure we can do flexible scheduling uh, we, you know, aren't open, uh, you know, 24 hours, but we do have, you know, go late into the evening or, you know, people want to have coffee really early in the morning. So we are open in the early morning. So it's really finding those managers that can build a team and 
give different people what they want, be it a student that wants to work part-time and, you know, only, you know, wants to work nights and on the weekends, or maybe it's a parent that wants the morning shifts and, you know, more of that daytime shift. So really trying to um, be a little bit more uh, custom when it comes to team members and knowing it's not always one size fits all has been, um, and certainly the other piece. I think, um, you know, it's a double-edged sword. Team members want the variety of doing different tasks and, and doing, you know, different things and having different hours, but they also want the stability and the familiarity of having, um, you know, the set schedules. And, uh, you know, they also want um, a bit of the ease um, in, in, you know, it's hard enough to run retail. So how do we make it easier for them? Oh, absolutely. Well, I, I think that you've both have hit on the the whole idea of how many moving parts there are in the retail business. And I think personally think convenience retailing is one of the hardest retailing business to do because of all the things we have involved with it, everything from kitchens to restricted sale products to working the technology and grabbing, keeping those people involved is, is, is a real challenge. Um, Joe, one of the things you mentioned during our meeting in November which was something that sparked a lot of interest was talking about gig workers, about folks who uh, you're, you're bringing in on very short-term aspects. Can you explain a little bit more about that and tell us what Sheets is doing on the gig working side? Yeah, I think that that really came to a head pretty much at the height of COVID. Um, you know, where we're trying to keep store staffed um, was very difficult. Um, not just because of turnover, but because you had people that were out, you know, people who uh, either were sick or had family members they were taking care of or um, the host of reasons why it was hard to get people. So um, we were looking for lots of tools to put into our store managers and district managers toolbox. Uh, and one of them we experimented with, and, and it's still an experiment. I don't want to make it sound like it's something we're doing daily in, in every location, but um, we were doing some experiments with gig workers and really for the more mundane tasks that people need to do every day at retail. So things like helping unload the truck um, and, you know, stocking the cooler, uh, maybe some cleaning, um, you know, dealing with the trash, you know, kind of the non-customer facing tasks that we have, uh, we all have in our stores. Um I obviously being a little more old school was extremely skeptical uh, about the whole thing. Um, you know, anytime we bring a new employee in because we do run all these businesses under one roof, um, you know, they're getting, you know, 60 to 80 hours of training probably uh, on the front end. And here you're bringing these people in with, with essentially nothing, but um, we were very surprised at um, how well it worked for those very specific things uh, that are very easy to teach somebody how to do. Um, and frankly, it was amazing that you could fill some shifts that are very difficult to fill on a regular basis. Uh, the third shifts, um, the weekends, uh, because people weren't making a, a very long commitment. You know, they're saying, okay, I'll come work for four hours and make X amount of money. Um, and then, you know, you may get some of them that come back over and over again, and you may get some you never see again. Um, so it is just, you know, another tool uh, in the toolbox uh, for people in the field, um, just to make sure we're, we're getting to all the tasks that we need to get to. 
So Joe, you're trying that at a few stores. It's not, it's not company wide. Yeah, we tried it in a few. We, we're still doing it in a few. It, it's really geographic. Um, and I think that's what, you know, a company like us, that's across six soon to be seven States, uh, you learn that, you know, things are not the same everywhere. Uh, there yeah. are still a lot of areas where, um, staffing is really not that big of a deal. Uh, I'm not going to say it's easy, but it's easier. Uh, and then there are areas wow. where it's just brutal. Um, and you know, that's based on competition. Um, that's based on the uh, actual market and the economy in those local areas. And so we still have several, mostly they're toward um, probably more metropolitan areas. You know, not that we operate downtown, but we're in some fairly big cities. Uh, and that's where the labor markets are hyper competitive and also where you would have the biggest pool of people who would be signing up to participate in the type of gig work we're talking about. And I think it's... Um... You know, it's, it's earning that extra, you know, however much in your pocket, you know, especially like holiday times, you need some money in there. I mean, I, I love this is might sound weird, but I love to work out. And so I'll be like, hey, I'll take a shift moving some boxes. There's my workout for the day. <laughs> I mean, I, I'd yeah. sign me up. Right. Um, that's how I look at yard work. Like, OK, I've got to move mulch. I'm going to get a workout. Let's go. So I'm, but I mean, there's there's certainly people who might just need the extra, you know, evening work and especially like on a weekend, maybe they work a, you know, nine to five or something during the week and they they want to work. I think that's a brilliant idea way to um, take some of those tasks that, you know, might not be the the most favorite of a regular full-time employee also keeps them in front of the customers and doing the customer facing things that you need most. So um, I'd love to hear as that, that moves along. Cause I think that's a, a brilliant um, approach. Yeah. I mean, like, the- Liz said, like Liz said, we're, we're trying to simplify that job anyway, uh, our normal retail jobs. And there's things we can do centrally especially running our own distribution center and our own kitchens and commissaries, we're, we're doing some kind of delivery every day to every store. So we can take a lot of those tasks, but there's certain things you just can't do centrally, uh, you know, stocking a cooler or, or cleaning whatever. I mean, that just has to be done live and in person. So. Makes sense. Um, I want to change gears a little bit because as we mentioned in the beginning, um, both of you are very strong into food service um, and obviously something you need to be in person for. Um, but it is become incredibly uh, competitive here in the U.S. I can't speak outside of us, but um, here in the U.S., we are a very uh, tipping friendly country. We tip for everything or we you know, a lot of people do. Um, in the past, prior to the pandemic, it was at a restaurant, you would tip for, you just did. You, there was no, you know, good. you just kind of left a tip if you didn't. Um, but now it's become something that is, um, you almost want to tip for everything, especially during the pandemic, you were tipping takeout, you were tipping for carryout, you were tipping for deli service. So um, the, I, I don't even know where the line is. You can read different articles every day now. Nobody knows exactly what you're supposed to do. But um, when we talk about food service employees, especially in convenience stores, um, I've, you both have said before, I've, I've read, you said that food service employees think of themselves as food service employees, as QSR employees, not so much convenience store uh, employees, especially those on the shifts that are heavily like lunch, like you said, Joe. Um, Liz, if I may ask you, is this a topic in some of your stores? How are you handling um, workers who would like to be tipped, who might want to leave and go somewhere where they might get tipped? Like, how is this an issue in your stores? And if so, how are you addressing that? Yeah, it, it's very much a topic that we're discussing a lot. You know, certainly the service aspect of Foxtrot, like you said, the coffee, the cafe, 
that is the component um, that lends itself to tipping and the tipping culture. And certainly the barista that is making coffee in our store could go down the street and be making coffee, you know, in, in a store that is just selling coffee and has a very straightforward tipping program. So we are um, looking at it really closely. The limitation up until this point has just been that our payments in our store today are all via credit card or via our online app. So we really don't have this culture of, of, you know, accepting cash, which, you know, that is a common way in our culture of tipping. And historically, our point of sale and our IT systems have limited the ability to tip because when you ring a transaction, you're ringing, um, you might be ringing up, you know, a case of beer and a coffee at the same time, or, you know, um, you know, it could be a really large transaction size, but you are spending, you know, five or $6 on, on something from the cafe. So which portion of that ticket should you be tipping on is one of the questions that, you know, we're, we're batting around um, a lot internally. So our first foray into tipping is going to be with transactions purchased on the mobile app. So when you order your um, coffee or, you know, your breakfast tacos on your app, it's going to be um, enabled so that you can tip just on that food or, or drink element of the transaction, which, you know, our team members are really excited about uh, for obvious reasons. So we're working on that to release that in um, the next couple of months, and then um, starting to look through what would the next step be um, for tipping in-store and how do you bifurcate that transaction so that um, the, the tip is commensurate with the service um, that, that the customer is getting. But it's clearly a win for the team member. And I know that a lot of customers that see the same barista every day really want to reward them for great service. That makes sense. What? Joe, do you have the same um, same thoughts, anything going on in your stores with that? I would say we're um, we're a little behind, Liz, on that. Uh, we've been watching and learning and, and waiting. Uh, we have the same challenges, right? I mean, um, our payment is actually done in a separate area of the store. Um, or it's done in advance, right? So you, you're pre-ordering on your app, you've paid for everything in advance, you're coming and just grabbing it and leaving. Um, and so it, it, there's some difficulty there and just how you operationalize it. And with um, the labor sharing that we do, um, I think we have to deal with, you know, what would you do with those tips? Because it's not always a specific person. Uh, in our case, if, if we're at lunch and we may have six people in the kitchen, uh, and they're working on, uh, they're not all handling an order from start to finish. Uh, someone is the starter. Someone's doing things in the middle. Someone's uh, is finishing. So there's some complications, um, you know, just beyond the technology that is definitely a legitimate issue, um, that, you know, we're going to study, but we're definitely on it. It's, it's not something we're ignoring. Um, but I'd say we're just a little bit behind. Yeah. And Joe, you bring up a good point. We definitely have had a lot of conversations on how do we make sure we pool the tips and share them amongst the team member? Because, you know, behind a, a great barista that you're you're seeing, um, there's someone, like you said, um, supporting them, you know, back in, in the kitchen or in the supply room. Um, so how do you make sure you reward the full team? Just as a, uh, a legal caveat to the conversation, if you are considering to do tipping, be sure to check with your local wage and hour and IRS wage and hour requirements mm -hmm. to be sure that it is being done properly. But along those lines, Liz, um, I know that you, you spoke about food service, looking for tips and gratuities to help 
maintain them at that, retain them at that job, because that's what they could do at other job opportunities. They would be collecting tips, but you are, correct me if I'm wrong, but you're paying tips in addition to full wages, as opposed to paying restaurant wages and supplementing them with tips. Is that correct? That is correct. So it's, it's, it's actually, a, it's a little bit different from our typical restaurant yeah. model. In it that, is, it is. Know. And that, you know, to Joe's point, we're just putting our toe in the water right now in terms of, you know, turning this on with, with the app and learning and, you know, learning about the retentive value of it. But certainly, you know, we're paying a full wage, um, a, you know, full competitive market wage um, in addition to the tip. So for our global well, audience who thinks that uh, that sounds very confusing, which, you know, you may already know about this, but restaurant wage, minimum wage, whatever it is, wherever it is, is a little different state to state here in the United States. But um, it's, you know, generally something you can kind of live on. Um, but then restaurant wages are much, much smaller, probably sometimes even a third of what regular minimum wage would be. So a restaurant worker relies heavily on tips, which is generally 15 to 20%, depending um, on the customer. Whereas, you know, regular wage is, is much higher. So I just wanted to make that, uh, that, that differentiation out there. If, if you're not used to our American tipping culture, sorry, Roy, I cut you off. <laughs> no, that's all right. No, it, it also uh, speaks to kind of just the continuing blurring of the, the channels between food mm -hmm. service convenience, restaurants, however how trying to do things, and that we're all sort of competing for the same uh, same employee uh, at the end of the day. And I think one of the things that was really interesting out of our conversation, uh, and that's in the vision report, is how we talked about the, probably the most important aspect of retention is leadership in the store. And, and Liz, I'm going to start off with you in just a second. But everybody was talking about the, the key aspect of retaining employees is the store manager. If that you've, you know, the stronger your store manager is, the better your retention program. And, and Liz, is that something that Foxtrot is seeing and that you guys are specifically focusing on? A hundred percent. And I would just say, you know, overall my, my years in uh, whether it's retail, whether it's restaurants, whether it's convenience, you know, store manager number one is such a fundamental, you know, I'm, I'm sure, you know, Joe shares that, you know, show me a good store and behind a good store is a great general manager that's running that store. It just, you see it time and, and time again. And so we really are emphasizing, um, you know, how do we get the best managers? How do we retain the best managers? Like I said earlier, how do we make their job easier because quite frankly, there's a lot on their plate. So how do we help them simplify? Um, how do we empower them? Um, really, they they own um, so much of the PL. So how do we empower them is, is a critical piece as well. Um, but really, we empower them also to be the leader to, you know, have the right attitude and, um, you know, bring the Foxtrot, you know, culture to, to life. So that's important too. So I can't emphasize enough, you know, how special we think our general managers are and how much we're investing in them. Well, and, and, and that's really crucial, not only for the store employees, but for the customers as well. And yeah, I think that that, that feeling of people being happy where they work permeates throughout the business, which creates the halo effect of everything that you're trying to do. Yeah. We and, like and, to and, say, you know, we want to be shopkeepers and hosts. And so we really want to empower our, our manager to be that shopkeeper. And, you know, um, it's probably the same fundamental as, 
you know, 70 years ago, you know, when you're mm-hmm. the shopkeeper, you're in charge of that shop, mm-hmm. right? You you have such pride. And so we use those words, you know, you kind of think, oh, that's kind of an old terminology for a, a newer type company to be a shopkeeper. But we really believe that. Well, and, and I think that's crucial. And Joe, I know that, uh, as you mentioned earlier, uh, Sheets has been designated as a great place to work um, and that you have a long history of working with your employees, long retention periods, moving up through the system. Uh, when you're dealing with the employee situation and finding the store managers, do you have any idea of how many of your store managers are brought in as store managers or how many people move up from different positions into a store manager role? Um, I would say it's very rare that we hire somebody in as a store manager. Um, I'm not going to say it doesn't happen, but that's the exception. Uh, we, we run a, you know, a pretty high volume, large site kind of model. So our typical store has a store manager, two assistant managers, uh, and three other what we'd call shift managers. So you have a, a small management team of six or seven uh, people at each location. So um, number one, that allows us to make sure there is a manager of some variety on duty at almost all times, uh, which when you're operating you know, it's 24 hours a day. Uh, the store manager can only work so much. Uh, so that's very helpful. Uh, but it gives us kind of our internal breeding ground uh, for, you know, the next assistant managers, the next store managers, and then frankly, you know, next district managers who would have a group of stores. Um, and that's been very important to us. So we've been actually spending even more time than before in the assistant manager ranks. Uh, we've always spent quite a lot of time and effort in training and in supporting the store manager <clears throat> felt like we needed to take that down a level uh, and really work with the assistant manager group so that we continually have that pool to draw from. Uh, if we're going to open 45 or 50 new stores every year, we need 45 or 50 new store managers and probably another 50 uh, for people who retire or turn over. So if we need to create 100 store managers every year, we're not going to do that by bringing them off the street. Uh, and there's not a good chance they've run a retail operation as complicated. Uh, you know, we've had varied success bringing in people with a fast food manager background, um, but our job's different. Uh, so, you know, you need to have that time uh, in our stores to really learn what you're doing. And I think where it really proved itself is we made a recent move into Columbus, Ohio. Um, and I think the first store is probably a year and a half old by now. We have 21 open, I think. Um, but we were able to move 100 people to Columbus um, of, of management capacity, certainly not all store managers, but between store managers, assistant managers, and, and shift managers, uh, we got 100 people moved there so that all the stores we open on the front end have veterans at the helm. Uh, and some of those people they hired early on will no doubt be ready to manage their own store uh, by the time we get to the 30th or 40th store. But uh, we just knew that was a very important part uh, of our culture. Wow. I very well, much heard well, about the Sheets family. And I mean, you, you've that that's something you guys talk about often. Um, and I mean, there it is. You, you build a family out of, out of these folks. And, um, I guess that actually brings me to my last question and Joe, I'm going to stick with you on this one because, um, given all we've talked about, you really have to recruit, you have to recruit hard to get 
people, but you want people that will stay with you. So if you could in like a short time, what would be your message to a potential employee to make them want to come work for Sheets? Well, I think it depends a little bit on the, on the type of employee. I think uh, for the younger folks um, who are looking just for an extra income, uh, I think it's a great way to cut your teeth. I think our industry is a perfect way to, to get your start, uh, whether it's your first job or it's, it's a job that you're using um, for a little extra income while you're you know, finishing up college um, or uh, between jobs. Uh, but I also think we have great long-term careers in this industry. Um, we're big enough that we have, um, you know, people that are in our marketing department, our chief marketing officer started as a, like a second shift store employee, right? So wow. we definitely as an industry and certainly as a company uh, provide career paths uh, and it's not all retail. There's a lot of support functions uh, within a company like ours that, um, you know, span the globe of different jobs. Um, so if you're looking, um, you, you want somebody who's growing and somebody who has a great culture. Uh, that's what we have to offer. That's that right there. Sign up right there. Sheets, go sheets.com. Um, <laughs> Liz, what about you? What, what, what's your message to potential employees out there? Why Foxtrot is a wonderful place to work. Right. Well, I share the growth mindset um, that Joe, you know, uh, characterized really well. You know, I obviously Foxtrot being a lot newer uh, but with really big growth aspirations, uh, in addition to having that entrepreneurial spirit. So, you know, a little uh, or a lot earlier, um, you know, on the the newer um, side, you know, it, it takes a balance of being willing to work in that environment with standards and accountability and, you know, very, you know, clear path of, of how we do things, but also having that entrepreneurial uh, mind where a little bit of ambiguity and also that ownership mentality really can take hold. So I think those are really critical for us. Also, you know, I look at it um, as there's a lot of opportunity. And I think Joe touched on this as well. You know, when you are with a company that is growing um, as fast as, as, as both of our companies, you know, there is so much opportunity to come in in one role and wake up, you know, in, in a year or two later and you've quickly progressed. So, you know, we say we have a lot of opportunity for our team members. We have it for these new brands that we're bringing in and showcasing. Uh, we have it for brands that are existing, you know, tenured brands. It's just a, a way of, of sharing that opportunity. And, you know, the other piece I would add is just how much uh, we embrace um, just creativity and diversity. So we really, um, you know, we are a little bit of a different concept and we really do embrace that difference in, in everyone. And so, you know, I think that's really resonated with our team members as well. Just the, the welcomeness to, you know, being a little bit different. That's great. Thank you. Um, I mean, you guys are both growing. You're growing big, and I, I can't wait to keep watching uh, your story as it as it continues to unfold, Liz and and Joe, as it just keeps growing. Um, thank you both for joining us today. And Roy, it has been an absolute pleasure sharing this this hostship with you today. Um, thank you, Roy. Thank you, Liz. Thank you, Joe. And best of luck to all of you and a prosperous new year. Thank you for listening to Shop Talk Live, the podcast. This episode was produced by Dan Munford and Nick Scherzer with support from Jenna Ferguson and Lorraine Evans. It was produced, edited, and mixed by Carolyn Schneer, and music was provided by Wolfgang Worley. Tune in every other week for new episodes, and please subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. 
and learn more at globalconvenienceStorefocus.co.uk.